This podcast contains content that may not be suitable for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Previously on Cry in the Moon's Light. The carriage has arrived in the village of Mercel, deep in the forest. After securing the horses in the livery, the driver goes to the pub for a drink and supper. The pub is filled with townsfolk, as well as criminals, and a group of mercenaries known as the Hessians. Milady is also in the pub, when a blue-eyed stranger arrives. His eyes are the same color as the mystery wolf that followed them from her mansion. When the stranger leaves the tavern, Milady follows right after. Fearing for her safety, the carriage driver runs out to protect her. A heavy fog smothers the town. Wolves are heard all around. Believing my lady has gone to her room for the night, the carriage driver returns to his room and falls asleep. Welcome to A Cry in the Moon's Light. Thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Alan McGill. I'm the author who created this story. I'll also be your narrator. A Cry in the Moon's Light is an action-adventure drama told in 15 episodes. A limited series podcast or audio story. It's the tale of a beautiful young woman who must travel across the country through a dark forest. Our setting is the late 1700s of Eastern Europe. It is a time of horse-driven carriages, muskets, castles, and when the moon is full, hideous creatures of the night. Short on time, the young lady must hurry through the wild country to be at the side of her dying grandmother. But a mysterious creature stalks her every move, and a deadly wolf pack seems determined to kill her. Armed with only her wits and a brave young carriage driver to protect her, she faces the challenges of a long and perilous journey through a dark land. But when two gruesome murders occur in the small town of Marcel, she and her carriage driver make the fateful decision to flee to the safety of a nearby castle castle that holds its own secrets. And what happens along the way is the true beginning of our story. Solve the mystery of the wolf, learn the secret of silver, and discover a world of intrigue, adventure, horror, romance, and love. Join me as we unravel the mystery that is a cry in the moon's light. In this chapter, in a dark alley within the town of Marcel, two gruesome murders are discovered. A witness observes the stranger from the pub standing over the bodies, along with a black wolf. The black wolf and the stranger escape into the forest, pursued by the Hessians. Fearing for their lives, the carriage driver and Milady flee 
making their way to a nearby castle. But along the way, they are attacked by a wolf pack, led by a black wolf. They are saved by something unexpected. Let's continue with our story as the villagers discover the gruesome remains of two murdered bodies. Welcome to Chapter 3, An Unlikely Savior. blood-curdling scream echoed through my room. The sound of a woman in excruciating pain, then sudden silence. This was followed by the sound of a man screaming out in horror. A few moments after the screams, the silence was broken by voices of people yelling. I could hear the pub door opening and closing. Footsteps running up the stairs. Sounded like a crowd of people had gathered somewhere outside, close by. I had been sound asleep as my eyes opened. I wasn't sure if I was dreaming. I sat up and tried to collect my thoughts. Then a loud banging at my door. I was groggy and my body was tired, achy. As my mind raced to waken, the sound of people running and clamoring outside got louder banging on my door started to get louder too. Who's there? I said loudly. It was the innkeeper's voice that responded. Still half asleep, I stumbled to make my way to the door. The innkeeper was visibly shaken. He was talking so fast I could barely make out what he was saying. Something about an incident down the alley. I went to the window to look outside. As I peeled back the curtain, I could see several town folk assembling across the street. They were huddled together and seemed agitated. It was still dark outside, so I couldn't have been asleep long. The torches from the group barely provided any light in the thick fog, and the moon was still hidden by the cloud cover. I had fallen asleep with my clothes on, so I hurried past the innkeeper and out the door toward the alley. As I got closer, I could see some of the men were armed. Only a few had guns, and those who didn't had torches. Some were holding axes, hatchets, or pitchforks, whatever hand weapon they could find. As I pushed through the crowd, most stepped aside. Their faces were white and pale, consumed with fear. Whatever happened, they were scared. I recognized some of them from the bar. Not long ago, they had been singing and having a good time. That was gone. Once I got through them, the faint glow of their torches revealed why. There were puddles of blood everywhere. A giant swath of blood splatter covered the side of the house. Behind the blood splatter were claw marks that raked down the wooden siding. These claw marks were higher than the tallest man here. Whatever did this must have been huge. At the end of the house was a large wooden fence that was attached to the other building in the alley. 
This closed the alley from the woods, but now there was a massive hole smashed through it. The slats had been shattered, like something had burst its way out to escape the alley. There were hairs caught in the splintered wood. The crowd began talking nervously. The quiet murmur was getting louder as their anxiety grew. Their eyes were wide and stress showed on everyone's face. One of the men asked what happened. A woman from the crowd began to describe what she saw. I heard the screams of a woman. It sounded like fighting right after. And then a man screamed. I was upstairs, so I grabbed my lantern and opened the window. When I looked down, I saw this guy standing over those poor souls. He wasn't wearing a shirt, and there were black marks all over his arms and chest. What else? A man asked. His pants were tattered at the bottom, and he didn't have any shoes. He was covered in blood, too. She paused and covered her mouth. He butchered those people, she finished. Another man called out from the crowd. I was coming out to the pub when I heard the screams. I ran down the alley and saw this large black dog-like creature busting through the fence. When he was through, I saw the man running after him. They both disappeared into the woods. They killed and butchered these people. The woman started to speak again. I watched that black dog-like thing running off, but the guy over the bodies, he just looked at me and glared with those glowing blue eyes. Then he jumped through the fence and disappeared into the woods. As she spoke, my head began to spin. She was describing the stranger in the pub. When he left the pub, my lady followed right after. I began to feel faint as my thoughts ran together. When the woman finished her story, that's when I saw it. My stomach turned. I couldn't look anymore as I spun my head the other way. Clasping the side of the building, I struggled to keep from passing out. I was glad I hadn't eaten any supper. It would have come up. There were two bodies lying just beyond those bloody puddles. Their throats were gaping wounds of torn flesh and blood. Their bodies were mangled with long lacerations. Something had torn open their abdomens and ripped out their entrails. Their intestines, kidneys, and liver were spilled out onto the alley. They had died violently. There were teeth marks all over their bodies. It was a grisly scene of blood, gore, and carnage. Animal attacks are often gruesome and violent, but not like this. The eyes of the male victim were wide open. His gaze was empty and lifeless. There was a look of shock and dismay permanently etched on his face. The woman lying beside him was in worse shape. There were claw marks down the right side of her face. It tore half her face off. Ripped out her eye that was now lying a few feet from her body. The claw marks that ripped down her face continued over her left breast. The breast was ripped open with jagged tears of flesh and pink tissue. And there was blood everywhere. Her clothes were ripped from her body and flung across the alley. She was half naked and badly mangled. There was so much blood around her, it was hard to see the color of her clothing. Her hair was also soaked in blood, but I could see it was auburn or brown. As I looked at this woman's hair, 
I composed myself and snapped back to reality. Instantly, I looked back to the inn. My lady had gone outside just after the stranger. I gathered myself and stumbled to my feet. As I started to make my way back through the crowd, the Hessians came pushing through. I could hear them questioning everyone. The leader knelt beside the bodies and was assessing the scene. He ordered one of his men to get the horses, and as his man ran to the livery, the Hessian leader and his other men jumped through the hole in the fence to pursue the beast. I ran out of the alley and back to the inn. Bursting through the door, I bolted down the hall and knocked feverishly at my lady's door. There was no answer, no sounds. I kept knocking frantically, loudly, but still no answer. Where was she? Was she inside? Was that her mangled body in the alley? The images of the mutilated woman kept flashing in my mind. I thought I saw my lady's door close last night. But did I imagine it? Or did she leave sometime after that? I couldn't take it anymore and was just about to break down the door when the innkeeper rushed to me with the key. How down, how down, he said, opening the door. I pushed past him, but she wasn't in there. Her bag was open on the dresser. I grabbed it and ran to my room collecting my musket and then passed the innkeeper on my way out the door. The crowd was still gathered in the alley as I ran by. Just before I reached the livery, I could see the doors were open. As I was about to run inside, a Hessian soldier burst out on horseback with three other horses in tow. I ran inside to find my lady standing next to Arca. She was startled by the Hessian hurrying out in my abrupt entrance. Arca's head bobbed up and down, too. She asked what was going on. I was surprised to see her, but very relieved. I was glad I did not have to return to the alley, as it was clear she was not one of the victims. But this was no time to waste. I looked at her with concern as I explained. My lady, two people have been killed. Her face turned to shock and then fear as she asked where. In the alley across from the inn. The Hessians are giving chase to... something. Then I looked back out onto the street. I think we should go, my lady. It may not be safe here. She looked at me and asked why. The two people that were killed, it was gruesome. I'm not sure what did that. Looks like some kind of large animal, I explained. My mentioning of the large animal caught her off guard, and she asked what I meant by a large animal. Maybe a wolf. I don't know, my lady. Whatever did that was evil. I said as I walked past her to the carriage. I threw her bag atop and began to take each horse from their stall so I could harness the team. As I was buckling the horses, the innkeeper came running in. What are you doing? he asked. We're leaving, I said. I don't think that's a good idea, mademoiselle, he stated, ignoring me and speaking directly to her. It's the middle of the night, and you can see a thick fog is rolled in. It will be hard to navigate. Traveling at night in thick fog is treacherous. You'll be well advised to wait until first light. Not to mention, there are less undesirables out during the day. Very dangerous at night, he finished. I looked back at my lady. Doesn't seem all that safe around here. The horses are rested. They're fresh now. We can make it out of the forest before something else happens. 
She stopped for a moment to look at the innkeeper, then back at me. She nodded her approval to me, so I motioned for the innkeeper to open the other stable door. As he slid the door, she got back in the carriage. I secured the latch, then hopped back up to my seat. Grabbing the reins, I called out for Arca and Killian to depart. The innkeeper stood by the open door as we trotted out. I threw him the two room keys and a small pouch with some coins. He opened the bag and looked inside, pleased enough. As we headed out of town, he yelled out, The castle of Wallamay is about ten miles to the northwest. Take the side road that bites north. Most don't like visitors in the middle of the night, but if they take you in, you'll be safe there. I gave a quick wave to him as I steered the team through the town heading west. When we cleared the last building, I turned to look behind. The fog was too thick and it didn't take long for the faint glow of the town to disappear. The clouds were still covering the moon. This made it darker, much darker than when we came into Marcel. I had lit the candles and the lamps before we pulled out, but it wasn't enough to move quickly through the darkness and fog. I had to pull the reins back and apply the brake to slow us down. I might have been wrong for leaving. The town was alert and the Hessians were giving chase to the creature. There were men with guns. Maybe it would have been better to have stayed. As I was second-guessing myself, a loud thundering boom echoed in front. A large tree was falling. It split the fog as it crashed to the ground. The force of the tree falling rumbled the area. I pulled hard on the brake and grabbed the reins with all my strength. Arca and Killian both whinnied and raised up. The team came to a grinding halt just before the fallen tree. I set the brake and jumped down. The horses were startled and scared, but they weren't hurt. The harnesses were intact, and there didn't appear to be any damage to the carriage. The tree that came down was enormous. Its large trunk was uprooted from the ground. The top of the trees landed across the road. It was completely blocking our path. There was no way to move it, and no way around. I might be able to use the horses to pull it to one side. Or, I would have to turn the carriage around and return to Marcel. Either way, that would require unbuckling the horses, which I did not want to do. I looked down the road behind the carriage. The fog was starting to lift, but it was still pitch black. There was something strange in the air. I could feel static electricity running through my hair. Looking down at my arm, there were goosebumps forming on my skin. The wind picked up, and with it, an eerie howl on its back. This was much closer than the howls I had heard in Marcel. The sound filled the night air. Then another cry came from the darkness. After that died down, another cry. And then another. The team stood perfectly still, frozen in fear. 
They had whale eye as they were helpless and couldn't move. They were facing the fallen tree and couldn't go forward or backward. I reached up quickly behind the driver's seat and grabbed my musket. Pressing it to my shoulder, I stood at the ready next to the carriage door. My lady was seated deep in the carriage with a look of fear on her face. My heart began to pound as the blood rushed through my veins. Then I saw them. One set of yellow eyes in the darkened road behind. Another appeared next to the first. In the forest next to the road, another pair of yellow eyes and a fourth pair across the road in the dark. Each set of yellow eyes, slowly getting larger and larger as they moved closer. Finally, their forms began to take shape in the shadows. We were surrounded by wolves. They were all moving slowly, taking deliberate steps in our direction, stalking their prey, never looking away, paralyzing us so they could find the right moment to strike. As they got closer, I could see their white teeth as they snarled. Drool dripped out of the sides of their mouth. Their hackles were on end and their ears were peeled back. They were all moving together, as if organized by some unspoken telekinetic power. Moving as if by one mind, with one goal, to kill us where we were. From the darkness, one wolf stood out among the pack. A large black male... He was much taller and bigger than the others, but there was something else about him. He moved at the same pace, slowly and deliberately. Clearly, he was directing the others. This was the leader. Looking at him, I felt the presence of evil and nausea at the pit of my stomach. I had never been a religious person. I wore a cross around my neck, but that was more habit or superstition. A gift from my mother a long time ago. I always thought of it as a lucky charm, but I didn't feel so lucky right now. For the first time in a long time, I began to pray. I would not survive their attack. As I looked in the carriage, I knew my lady would live only slightly longer than I. After they were finished with me, it wouldn't take long for them to break into the carriage and tear her to pieces. My musket might get one of them. The others would be upon me the moment I fired. The only question now, which one of them was going to take the bullet so the others could attack. Our deaths were going to be gruesome, just like those poor souls in the alley. Tears began to flow from my eyes as fear took over my emotions. Fear gave way to sorrow. I felt sorrow for my lady. She would have to watch, helpless as they tore me apart. She would hear my screams, all the while knowing she was next. Then, at the very moment when it all seemed hopeless, without warning, a creature of incredible size and power leapt from the shadows. It landed between me and two of the advancing wolves. It hit the ground with a loud thud. Standing next to the carriage and facing the enemy. I was so startled, I stumbled backwards and fell to the ground. Wide-eyed and scared to death, I got up and scampered to the carriage roof. My lady shuffled back in her seat as far away from the door as she could get. From here, 
I could see the creature's massive size. It was half man, half wolf. Had large round shoulders that supported huge muscular arms. At the end of those giant arms were large hands and long claws. With an enormous chest, it took in large breaths as it prepared for battle. The beast was large and muscular. Nothing was going to beat it. I was more afraid of it as I was of the wolf pack. The head was that of a wolf with a long muzzle and pointed ears. The ears sat high in the air, but slightly back. There was a menacing hiss when it snarled as it displayed large white teeth. The fangs were so large, they were like spears. The front teeth were long and pointed, like razors. And the jaw looked like it could snap bones in two. The beast was covered in a dark fur. Embedded in the fur were these black markings all over its arms, shoulders, and chest. They were jagged ribbons weaving in and out of each other like a thatch pattern. And the markings seemed to glow with a dark blue tint. When his head turned, I could see his eyes. Blue. The same brilliant, bright blue as the wolf we encountered on the road just before Marcel. Was this creature the wolf? It had the same eyes, the same blackish-blue markings. Didn't make any sense. This is more of a man and the other was clearly a wolf. The beast leaned in aggressively towards the closest wolf and let out a large growling hiss. <laughs> moving his head from side to side of each wolf that was coming close. Puffing his chest out as the long hackles on his neck stood on end to make himself big and fearsome. One of the wolves had gotten too close. The beast grabbed the wolf by the throat with one hand. He lifted it high in the air and then slammed it to the ground, its claw squeezing the throat as it did. Another wolf leapt in. As the creature let go of the first wolf, he seized the second wolf in midair. The creature used the momentum to hurl the wolf behind him, smashing it into the side of the carriage. The first wolf scrambled to its feet to clamp its jaws into the creature's thigh. The beast reared its head back and let out a cry of pain. Then he grabbed the wolf and yanked it off his leg. The beast stood there holding the wolf in its claws. It pulled the wolf close to its face and gave a menacing snarl. The wolf's eyes got bigger as it got closer. Saliva poured from the creature's mouth as his claw squeezed the wolf's throat. Then I heard the neck bones snapping under the force of his grip. The head went limp and the wolf's tongue flopped out of its mouth. The creature then tossed the dead animal to the side. Startled at the death of one of their own, the other wolves stopped their attack. They looked at each other with confusion. As I watched in amazement, I realized my musket was on the ground just behind the beast. I had dropped it when I scrambled up here. I thought if I could get to it, I could take out a few of the wolves from here. I started to climb down off the carriage. The beast turned around and my eyes met his. He then let out a menacing hiss as if to say, get back up there. Instantly, I abandoned the idea and scrambled back up to where I was. As his back was turned to confront me, the wolves started to tighten in on him. Having watched what happened when they get too close, they were careful to stay just out of his reach. They started to dart in and out, tempting him to make a move. 
patiently trying to entice him to make a mistake. It looked like they were trying to lure him away from the carriage. They couldn't completely surround him because the carriage was at his back. Arca, Killian, and the rest of the horses were stomping their feet and pawing in the air. Any wolf coming too close would get a clunk in the head. Patience of the wolf pack ran out, and one wolf decided to attack. It lunged in from the side trying to catch the beast off guard, but he was ready for it and turned, punching the wolf squarely in the side. I could hear the ribs breaking from the impact, and the force of the punch sent the wolf flying through the air. It crashed on the forest floor with a loud whimper, rolling end over end. As his punch landed on the side of the wolf, another wolf came in from the opposite side. It barely avoided Arca's hoof and reached its target. It bit hard into the backside of his arm with razor-sharp teeth. Yet another wolf raced in and slammed into the beast's side. It clamped down, tearing into bone and flesh. And another wolf jumped in, grabbing onto his chest, sinking sharp fangs into the muscle. He now had three wolves hanging off him. Their bites were deep, tearing into his flesh with blood splurting into the air. Each bite and impact made him gasp and cry out in pain, and those cries echoed through the forest. The beast swung back around and grabbed the wolf at his side. He flung it off deep into the darkness. The next was at his chest and he reached down and grabbed the wolf's muzzle. He pulled the mouth apart until the jaw split, ripping the head in two. Then he flung the dead carcass across the fallen tree. The last wolf was still clenched to his arm. Each time he had moved to deal with one of the other wolves, its body would swing with him. It was determined to hang on. He stretched his other hand around to catch the wolf by the top of his head. His clawed hands grasping the wolf and squeezing. The pressure and pain caused it to release its bite. When it was finally free, the beast slammed the last attacking wolf to the ground which instantly killed it. As it lay there dead and the other wolves vanquished from the fight, the beast stooped down, leaned forward, raised his head and let out a roar of triumph. The sound carried through the forest like a hurricane, his long teeth glowing in the dark as blood and drool gushed from his mouth. The fight was over. Then I noticed the black wolf, standing at the edge of the shadows. He and a couple others had never joined the fight. They had watched and evaluated, more interested in assessing the beast, learning from the fight, searching for weaknesses. The wolves that were not killed slinked away into the shadows, limping off hurt and exhausted. One by one they moved out of sight, just before disappearing, they would turn and snarl defiantly. Still standing over the dead carcass of the last wolf, the beast caught the gaze of the black wolf. He stepped toward him, but the black wolf backed away. The beast watched as the black wolf disappeared into the shadows. It was several minutes before the beast turned his gaze from the forest. Satisfied the black wolf and his pack were gone, the air calmed and the clouds moved away. The moon's light returned and made the forest bright again. It was as if the beast had somehow cleared the sky when he defeated the pack. He then turned and looked up at me with those glowing blue eyes, his large teeth still showing from a slight snarl, saliva dripping from the edges of his mouth. The pack was gone. What was he going to do? 
it was hard to catch my breath. He could easily reach up and yank me off this carriage, and my musket was laying on the ground at his feet. Then, just as the sky had changed, so did he. His snarl began to fade, his mouth closed and his eyes softened. A look of rage was leaving his face. After a few moments, he looked almost peaceful. His head dropped from me, and he looked at my lady in the carriage. Then he turned and walked past the horses to the fallen tree. With each step he took, the ground shook under his weight and power. Not one of the horses moved. They had settled and were very calm. It was as if they understood him. Somehow, they sensed that the danger had passed. He walked to the giant tree blocking the road, looked back at me, then put his shoulder into it. Battered and bloody, I watched as he began to push the massive tree aside. It would take a few attempts, but he finally shoved it enough to get it out of the way. Then he stood and looked back at the carriage. I came down from the roof and picked up my musket from the ground. I pulled it to my shoulder and took aim at him looking down the barrel and over the sights with one eye. Behind me, I heard the carriage door open. My lady was stepping out. She moved slowly and passed me, placing a hand over the barrel of my musket, lowering it to the ground. As she was doing this, she never took her eyes off the beast. And he didn't take his eyes off her either. As she let go of the musket and started to walk toward him, I whispered, Mademoiselle, no! She slowly raised her hand and motioned that it was okay. In an expression of disbelief, I heard her whisper softly to herself, It cannot be. She moved past the horses and walked right up to him, removing her hood. They stood there facing each other. Her eyes moved slowly over his battered and bloody body examining every wound. Her face would wince at some of the tears in his flesh. She reached out, with slight hesitation to touch his face. With a clawed hand, he reached out and met hers. Her eyes began to well up with tears. He stepped back and paused. Then he slowly turned and began to leave. He started out slow, then trotted until he was finally running off into the woods, fading from sight. She watched him leave as a teardrop fell from her eye. It slowly rolled across her cheek as it found its way to the ground. I watched, as if in slow motion. It landed in a puddle at her feet with a small splash. The moment the tear hit the ground, from a distance, there was a deep howl that filled the air. This howl was different than the others. It was a cry of sorrow. She listened to the cry until it was gone. There was a look of pain on her face as well. It was as if she felt the pain in that sound. The mood was somber. You could feel an immense sadness in the air. Everything was quiet. The forest was still. She turned, slowly walking back to the carriage. Without a word, she stepped inside, shut the door, and sat just beyond the light in the shadows. A moment later, she leaned forward 
slid the window aside and said, We need to go. Stay tuned for a preview of our next exciting chapter. I'm your host, Alan McGill. Thank you for joining me on this episode of A Cry in the Moon's Light. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow us and click the like button, as well as leaving a review in the comments section. By doing this, it helps promote the show so we can gain more support. You can also show your support by going to buymeacupofcoffee.com forward slash Alan McGill. It's a good way to support authors and artists like myself. You can even download the Buy Me a Cup of Coffee app to make your contributions even easier. When you buy me a cup of coffee, you're not just supporting me, but you're supporting the show. While I am the narrator, sole producer, and performer, That cup of coffee helps me purchase the sound effects, artist illustrations, and original music written and performed by Joseph McDade. Go to buymeacupofcoffee.com forward slash Alan McGill. Before I sign off, I want to take a moment and acknowledge some great supporters of the show, like Joseph McDade, who provides original music to shows like this. You can find Joe at josephmcdade.com. Todd Yuri of the Pharmacy Podcast Network, who provided a quiet place to record the narrations for this show, and is always a supporter of the arts. Visit Todd at the Pharmacy Podcast Network. I want to thank the Writing Community Chat Show for their support of the show. The Writing Community Chat Show is a podcast that supports authors whenever they can, and they always have fascinating guests and interesting topics. I'd also like to thank another friend of the show, Shelley Swartz. Shelley is an author that has several works out right now. Her latest is The Gothic Adventures of Gertrude Grizzly. It's been described as the ghost of Mrs. Muir meets a Christmas carol with an evil elixir behind it. A mix of mystery, paranormal, enchantment, and steampunk. It's available on Amazon. And lastly, I want to thank you again for being here. I hope you enjoyed the show, and I hope you join me again for another exciting episode of A Cry in the Moon's Light. In the next chapter, after the attack on the road, Milady and the carriage driver arrive safely at the castle of Parlamay. Staying the night, they prepare to leave the next day, but the Hessians' unexpected arrival prevents them from continuing on their journey. Why are the Hessians preventing anyone from leaving the castle? And what mission did the king give them Find out next time in Chapter 4, Castle Parlamay and the King's Order. This podcast is the creation of Alan McGill. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.